Welcome to another episode of That NAMS podcast. Glad to have you here. Hope that those of you who are listening are serious Christians uh, and leaders in the spheres that God has assigned you to. I want to turn back today to where we ended last week and revisit with a little more depth the mission before we go on to what I think are the three phases of a significant change of course for any organization, any ministry, any congregation, um, any minister, leader, uh, any church body of any great size. I think these things matter. But before we go to rethinking and re Uh, forming and repositioning. Let's go back to mission. Let's go back to mission. I said last week, and I'll say again, that it seems to me there is only one mission given by the Lord Jesus Christ to his church. Um, And that mission has been, from the beginning, summed up in the language of the scriptures under the heading Um, It may be a modern phrase, but the reality is from the beginning that the mission of the church is to make disciples of all nations, bringing them into a living relationship with the living God, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded, um, and knowing that in the pursuit of that mission, in obedience to that mission, the presence of the Lord is promised in all circumstances, at all times, and in all places. That mission, um, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, is, I believe, the definitive one. I believe that it's not an accident that uh, Matthew's gospel is first in our New Testaments. I believe that Matthew's Uh, Summing up of that mission is the most comprehensive of all the scriptures, um, even though it is reinforced everywhere, page after page, place after place, verse after verse. Um, But it's no coincidence that Matthew is the one who records for us that on the very beginning day, in the in the moment of calling his first his first followers, Jesus declared to them that they were to follow him, and he would make them fishers of men. Now, becoming fishers of men means becoming disciple-making disciples. And so when Jesus gives the universal mission to his church on the day of his ascension, he is saying the same thing in slightly different words. He, of course, is not sending us out to catch men like fish. He's sending us out to make disciples who love the Lord Jesus and know how to make other disciples. When I first began to be utterly persuaded of these truths, even though I had been nominally taught them, I had never been around anyone in the Anglican family that actually lived them in, a, in an explicit and an intentional way. And when I first began to preach and teach 
that there really is only one mission and that the congregation that I was leading must bring itself into conformity with that mission. Many people, some to my face and some behind my back, began to speak of me as though I was not an Anglican, as though somehow I had become something other than an Anglican priest. And I don't know how anyone can sustain that argument for very long, because essentially it's an argument to undermine the truth that there is only one mission. And yet the scriptures make it plain over and over and over again. Just think for a moment. Uh, Just make a cursory uh, sweep through the scriptures. Mark begins his gospel by telling us that that is the calling that Jesus gave at the beginning. This is what you are going to do. You are going to follow me. And because you follow me, you're going to take this gospel to the world. Mark begins his gospel that way, and Mark ends his gospel in this, in this way. If you have been persuaded um, by scholars that the shorter ending of Mark is the authentic ending, well, just grapple with chapter 16, verse 7, when the angel that directs them to go to Galilee says, he's going to meet you and talk to you just as he told you he was going to. We know throughout the scriptures that Jesus was called of God to inaugurate a ministry and a mission that would go to the whole world. Luke reinforces the same truths. He tells us that Jesus told those first disciples, you're going to be catching men. And then at the end of his ministry, he tells them they are going to proclaim this good news, this gospel to all the nations. We find it in John. We find it in the beginning when Jesus is calling his first disciples. He first tells them what? Well, come and see. But very quickly, the come and see is then, well, you make a decision. If you're going to follow me or you're not going to follow me. And, and without, without any hesitation, we can say that by the second chapter of John's gospel, we see those first disciples behaving as learner disciples. We see them watching, listening, following, serving with Jesus, preparing to become those that he will send out when the time comes. You will be prepared and then sent out. You're going to be sent out as the Father sent me out. Um, and, and, and on the last, the last chap, in the last chapter, one of the most poignant and wonderful sections, when Peter is being restored to his position as an apostle by the care and the tender ministry of the Lord Jesus, the last thing that Jesus says to Peter is, Peter, follow me. Now, the reality is that all of the scriptures together are saying the same thing. But I want to bring you back in your prayers and your thinking as a leader, as a called Christian, to grapple with, pray with, humble yourself before, ponder and internalize that the mission of Matthew 28, 18, it, excuse me, 28, 19, is given to you. 
It's given to you. You are to go and make disciples. And the go in that, as many of you hearing this may already know, but it's worth repeating, is a go that really means going. In effect, the Lord is saying, as you are going, as you are living, as you are walking, as you are teaching, as you are rising up and laying down, be making disciples. Be making disciples of all peoples, all peoples. So that applies if I live in Atlanta, Georgia. It applies if I live in Armenia. It, it applies to me if I am a school teacher. It applies to me if I am a theological teacher. It applies to me that I make disciples who themselves are able to make disciples. Now, grasping that has to begin to cause any thoughtful and careful person to re-examine how am I using my time and my energy? How am I using my time and my energy? If the mission that Jesus is giving me is to be one who, while he is living his life, is making disciples, how am I using my time? How am I using my energy? How am I using my resources? And Jesus gives me very real clarity that the making of that kind of disciple involves them being baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you to pause and prayerfully consider if that can possibly mean I want you to sprinkle them with water. No. Water may be involved, even the sprinkling of water. But the reality of what Jesus is telling his followers, his apostles, his church, is you are to bring people into a living relationship with the living God. You are to baptize them into the reality of God, the triune one, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is about the change of life that comes when someone is, is, is plunged in to the life of the living God and is changed from the inside out. This is not, a, this is not instruction for an external right. This is instruction to bring people to the fullness of the knowledge of God Almighty in Jesus Christ, his Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Think with me for one moment, if you would, about what Paul, the apostle, has to teach us in the letter to the Romans. In the second chapter of the letter, when the apostle is describing and talking about the difference between external faith and internal faith, between saying that we believe a thing and living as we believe, as though we believe a thing, and how the apostle uh, summons, summons this principle up that he is laboring to teach over and over and over by saying that a Jew is not one because of an external circumcision. 
a Jew is a, is a faithful son or daughter of God because their heart has been baptized by the Spirit. There can be no doubt that if the Apostle Paul was here with us today and we said to Paul, Paul, who is a true Christian? He's going to say the very same thing. He is not a true Christian who is one outwardly baptized with water. He is a true Christian who is one inwardly baptized by the Spirit in the heart, changed from the inside out. I'm not meaning in this podcast to argue and fuss or debate sacramental theology, but I am here to assert with all the firmness that God would grant me that what Jesus means is knowing the living God. And knowing the living God will be illustrated by obedience to all that Jesus has commanded. Whenever someone begins to discuss and argue about portions of the clear teaching of the Jesus that we serve, the Lord God, who is our King and our Messiah and our Lord and Savior, when someone begins to fuss or argue about what we mean by obedience to him, it is a warning. Because it is very clear that obedience to him means obedience to the word of God. Nothing in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ gives anyone liberty to decide to cut and snip from the scripture that God has granted to the church. One of the great Anglican principles from the Reformation was that you may not expound one portion of the scripture in such a way as to be repugnant to another. And I assert as clearly as I know how, there is no way, there is no way to undermine the truth that Jesus Christ has given one mission to his church, and that is that she should be a disciple-making community. And to be a disciple-making community means that all who are baptized into Christ are learning how to bring another to baptism into Christ. To be a disciple who is learning how to make another disciple. Well, my time's up. I, I sure am enjoying these podcasts. I pray and hope that you are, you are as well. And I would encourage you, please, to let others know about our podcast. And uh, I'll look forward to seeing you next week. God bless.